If you like your public school, you can keep your public school. Welcome to the Texas Take, the number one political podcast here in the great state. I'm Scott Braddock at uh, quorumreport.com and at houstonchronicle.com. It's Jeremy Wallace. Hello, sir. Hey, it's a long week, right? So much that we're going to have to unpack here in yeah. a little short time to get there. <laughs> yeah, let's do Okay. All right. I think you're going to work a few uh, country music lyrics uh, into this as we go. I'll, I'll be surprised each time, or at least I'll pretend to be surprised. Here's what I'm going to start with, because I think it is, of all the issues we'll talk about, the one that doesn't really fit under the rest of the national discussion uh, that we're going to hear about when it comes to uh, Roe versus Wade, when it comes to immigration and border security and all of that, which we'll get to. Uh, But the first is very specific to Texas. And I say that not because we're the only state to deal with this, but the dynamics in Texas are so different from any other Republican state where this has been and will be debated. Am I right when it comes to vouchers in school, school choice in Texas? Um, It is, I think this is right. I've been covering this a long time. I think it's right to say that for those on the right who are committed to this issue, because it's not everybody who's a conservative who even likes this, right? Um, But for those who are committed to it, it kind of makes them nuts, Jeremy, that Texas is the biggest Republican state to not have some kind of a full-on school choice slash voucher program. Yeah, absolutely. Like having been a veteran of also the Florida press corps to Mm -hmm. watch Jeb Bush and George W. Bush both be in office pushing the same issue, but only Jeb got it done. You know, it's just like somehow George W. couldn't get it there. Mm-hmm. It's like it, just to see that contrast that has got to drive so many people in the school choice movement, you know, who just are sitting there. Going, How did that work? How did a more right. conservative place not mm-hmm. take the program that we thought we were going to have a lot more trouble in Florida getting through? Right. And of course, the uh, dynamics in Texas have to do with the fact that and we hear it all the time. We talk about it all the time. Um, the easiest way to understand it is. Texas is just bigger. It's geographically diverse in a way uh, that means that with the school finance system that we have, there's no way to make a voucher system work without taking money out of public education. And public education is in some of the small communities around the state, Jeremy, which are dominated by Republicans. The public school system is the best thing in town, right? It's yeah. Friday night lights. It's where everybody gathers. If you have uh, an event uh, the at the school, you know the um, the beer distributorship will find some way to be a sponsor. You know, what I mean, it's like it, it, it's it's the place where people gather. And it's the heartbeat of rural communities, really, uh, in a lot of ways. In, in a lot of places, I should say, it is the largest employer in the town or in the county is the public school system, right? Um, and so pitching this to Republican voters is a challenge for someone like Greg Abbott. And it was a challenge, as you say, for uh, George W. Bush and Governor Rick Perry as well. Although the things that they said about it and the things with the, you know that they were proposing are not as full on as what Abbott is talking about. So, so let me let me play this and, and, and let me give you a backstory here, Jeremy. I think for me, and for a lot of journalists, and for a lot of people who pay attention to these issues in the public education community, and some of the people who are in favor of school vouchers and school choice, I think they were a little caught by caught by surprise um, by the governor on Monday um, because the way his event was promoted was sort of like the same thing as his event in Louisville back in January. Yes. Remember Great where they point. were talking where they were talking about at that time Abbott and others talking about a parental bill of rights. And this was sort of, I I blew it off. I didn't even watch it live. I usually watch most of his stuff. I want to see if he's going to say something interesting, but I didn't because I thought that's what it was going to be, just more of the same. Uh, so then I started to see some of the coverage emerge about it and the governor instead of just talking about his parental bill of rights, the governor went further in San Antonio and said this. Empowering parents means giving them the choice to send their children to any public school, charter school, or private school with state funding following the student. Now, in covering this, Jeremy, you pointed out that uh, Governors Bush and Perry were in favor of some form of this, but it certainly wasn't as much as what Abbott is talking about. He's talking about going even further. And as you noted in your coverage, they couldn't even get small programs on this to get started in Texas. 
Yeah, it definitely. You know, anybody who was around for both those administrations, you know, those guys were very dedicated to this issue in a way that I'm not sure Greg Abbott has been. You know, they've been much. They were much more aggressive in talking about it. But like you said, they were trying to go for a, a, a more limited starting point. They were trying to appease people who were concerned. Say, okay, look, these are going to be pilot programs. They're going to be aimed at you know children in minority communities and poor, poor performing school districts. That's where we're going to go. We need a test program. It's like, you know, uh, you know, it, I remember W uh, spelling that out specifically to the Texas legislature trying to make sure it was good. It's time for a limited pilot program. Mm-hmm. Abbott threw all that out. There was no l- limited pilot program. It was no. just targeted, you know, for some people. You know, he didn't put any caveat on that. You heard that. Mm-hmm. You know, he was mm-hmm. like all open for everything. And like and what you were saying, like in Louisville, I thought that's where it was coming. I thought that's right. where he was going to talk because remember he had Bill Bennett, yeah. who is mm-hmm. the grandfather really of the voucher school movement in America. Right. It's like he was with him, and I'm thinking that's where he's going to drop it, and he never did. He talked about charters and school choice, but never private schools. And so here he is, you know, now, you know, on a you know <laughs> evening in South San Antonio, he drops that in there. And I yeah. like, I nearly spit my beer out. I was like, "Whoa, <laughs> right. I gotta go cover this." <laughs> like well, he yeah. just, uh, he just said something that I never expected he was gonna go full Mm-mm. bore on. And here right. he is making this bold announcement in San Antonio that right. he is gonna not just you know thinks that you know voucher private school vouchers should happen, but that mm-hmm. he's gonna push the legislature to do this mm-hmm. stuff. It's like, whoa, wait! If he puts the full force of the governor's office on this issue. It's like this is going to be a real talk, and you know, we're going to have a real debate here on this issue. A real throwdown about it. In the following days, he attempted to explain this to people who live out in the country. So he said this in San Antonio, where it hits people's ears one way. Out in rural Texas, it's a little different. And to explain himself, he appeared on several radio shows, and you know we were tuning into these different shows around the state in uh, Lubbock and Abilene, Wichita Falls, down in the Valley, and I think in Dallas as well. But in those rural areas, what Abbott was saying is that if you do have a school voucher system, you can keep your public school. Don't even worry about that. He went out of his way to say to people in Lubbock uh, when he was talking on the Chad Hasty show, Jeremy, he said, look, if, if you're in Lubbock, it's probably true that it's universal. Everybody in Lubbock loves the public school system. He's saying that in other places there are problems, right? Which, which again, kind of comes back to what you're saying about why not then promote something that's a smaller pilot program and maybe only targeted at disadvantaged you know kids in uh, urban areas like you know certain parts of Houston or DFW but he didn't do that at all so what he told Hasty is that it is possible to have a voucher system but also and the governor is smart enough politically to say this but also and say this first you will have fully funded public schools yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll answer that question, but uh, let me first make this point, and, and that is we need to recognize in this state, uh, especially during the time of COVID, especially during these times when we see some very controversial things being taught to kids, uh, such as critical race theory and other things like that, uh, that, that education is provided differently to kids in different regions of the state of Texas. What may be going on in Austin, Texas, or Houston, Texas, uh, probably is completely different than what you're seeing going on in Lubbock, Texas. Uh, and we also need to understand that the primary person in charge of a child's education is actually their parent. And so what we want to do is to empower parents to be able to choose the school that is best for their child. And the way that we can uh, do that while also fully funding public schools and and, uh, the schools that uh, many, if not everybody there in Lubbock, Texas, like to send their children to uh, is uh, to have uh, the money that is allocated for students uh, follow that student. Uh, For for those listening who do not know, uh, the way that school funding works uh, is there is an allocation that is made to a public school right now uh, based upon average daily attendance per student. Uh, and uh, it, let, let's say that uh, no no parent decides to go to any other school, that school is going to be fully funded uh, at its current rate. Uh, every school uh, will continue to be fully funded on a per-student allocation uh, based upon the number of students uh, who go to that particular school. <laughs> now, let me make that a little easier to understand. The state of Texas right now, the law is, the state does not write a check to the school district for a student unless they're in class that day. I think most people understand that, that it's based on attendance. The governor is saying 
that the school will still get all of the money that it would otherwise get for all the students who are still there at the school, but it would be um, less money than if no students had left to go to private schools or other schools, right? Now, here's th- here's something you have to understand about it, and this is the simple redneck version of it. And, and by the way, I listened intently to the school finance trial, the last one, and they've had lots of them, but the last trial in Texas, there are probably only three people on earth who understand the school finance system in Texas, you know, like inside and out, (laughs) and I'm not one of them. So the experts, though, will tell you that what he's saying, those two things can't happen at the same time. You can't have a school be fully funded, but also have money following students out of the school to go to other schools that means they have less money in the pot and jeremy we've seen this in the austin isd right where these uh, other schools have popped up and it has really put a strain on their budget yeah absolutely austin isd has been losing students particularly to charter schools and this is in private schools too don't get me wrong but like they're losing people to charter schools so the dollars that follow the kids then you know go from the austin public school system into a charter school that's money that the, the the school district then is losing and so they're constantly under these budget constraints and budget problems despite Property taxes being sky high in Austin, right. Texas, taking school money for the schools. They're like it's, it's amazing because of the way this complicated formula works. That money's going back, but it's not all coming back to you know the the, the school district. So the right. Austin ISD is like in financial trouble, you know, constantly to make up for all the kids who are leaving. Right. Well, and another way to understand it is that when the state sends money uh, per student. Um, each student doesn't have like an account at the school district where the where the school district spends money out of that account for that student. They have an overall budget that they use and move around to allocate resources where they need to go, right? So there's certain days yes. or certain times when a student may not need as many resources behind the person at that particular time, and then other students who need more resources on that same day, right? So they have to do that constantly in their budgets, and this would give them way less flexibility, put them under way more strain. Uh, Abbott also volunteered this. You heard him mention what? He talked about CRT, critical race theory, right? He also volunteered this about why he's actually pushing for this, Jeremy, and I think it sort of confirms the suspicions that a lot of folks had about all of the attacks on public education, especially those that have ramped up over the last couple of years. Based upon which region of the state you were in, uh, there were times when you and your child, they, they were forced to learn from home as opposed to learn in school. They were forced to wear a mask mandate, despite the fact uh, that the state mandate was no mask mandates in schools. And, and parents were frustrated with that, as, as well as some of the controversial things that are being taught in our schools. And I think uh, the, regardless of what region in the state of Texas you live in or you represent, uh, people have a greater understanding that, man, we, we're going to need some choices yeah. uh, for education uh, to avoid parents from being uh, uh, have, have crammed down on them and their child. Uh, some rules and regulations and some topics. Uh, that the parents disagree with. This is what some people have been saying for a couple of years, is that all of these attacks and all of these um, you know, angry moments we've seen at school board meetings where people are showing up and screaming at the school boards. Just last weekend in Texas, we had school board elections, and there were uh, quite a few of the so-called conservative challengers who were successful in take, either winning a seat or two on some of these school boards in, uh, in Tarrant County, it's always Tarrant County, Jeremy. In Tarrant County, there were four school boards that were reported to have been taken over and that they flipped those school boards in favor of the more conservative challengers. And that didn't just happen on its own. It wasn't organic. It's, it's big money packs that are putting a lot of cash into spending, uh, you know, for, you know, in favor of these candidates to get them on the school boards. I think people have this idea that, oh, wow, parents are just angry and this is happening on its own. No, it's a coordinated effort. And a lot of people had been saying that they had this concern that this is all moving in the direction of a school voucher program, a quote, school choice program, and they were sort of dismissed as conspiracy theorists. But there's the governor saying it, right? He's saying that the reason he's doing this is because of all of those things that we've seen in the news and in our local communities for the last 24 months. 
Yeah, I thought he was even more direct on KURV that uh, he was on the Sergio show down there in yeah. Allen. Mm-hmm. And he ended up saying straight up, school choice has a better chance of passing this session than before because of all that, and because of CRT. So, And I think, look, the governor is probably right. It's like the, the energy from whatever this is that what's happening in school boards, it, you know, certainly is there politically to bring a lot more pressure, political pressure to bear on Republicans who aren't on board with this now. It's yeah. different than when W or Perry were there. They couldn't get that full pressure. You know, they didn't. You know, but I think right now, because of the way things are going, you can cloak a lot of things in choice, right? Choice of what your kids are reading in school, choice of, right. you know, what they're being taught, choice of whether or not they wear a mask. And then you could see him go, oh, in choice for voucher school, uh, voucher programs. <laughs> right. That makes sense. Well, I'll tell you what else is uh, different now. And, and that is the fact that we do have uh, several new or newish, I'll say new or newish, Republican members from rural areas in the Texas House uh, who have never been through this fight before. Yeah. And they don't understand the stakes. Uh, I think if you talk to veteran rural members, uh, you know, people like Drew Darby from San Antonio, or excuse me, San Angelo, or uh, somebody like uh, Four Price from uh, Amarillo, or some of the uh, some of the old guard Republicans, they've been through these fights and they know what it's all about and they know what the stakes are. They have heard from their superintendents, they've heard from school board members, they've heard from people in the community who are concerned that they're going to be starved of resources for their public education system if there is a voucher, uh, you know, bill that's put forward and actually passed. Uh, but you have people like. Shelby Slauson from sort of north central Texas. You've got Cole Hefner from East Texas. I'm just thinking some off the top of my head who are newer members who are rural Republicans who have never had this uh, fight before. They're about to experience, Jeremy, if this is really the fight that plays out, they're going to hear from all of the people I'm talking about who are very concerned about this who do understand what the stakes are, and they're going to try to educate those new rural members that the governor's wrong when it comes to this issue. And it's going to turn into something, I mean, wrong for their communities. It's going to turn into something that's not partisan because this isn't, it's not a partisan fight. I mean, you've got, like I say, just about every Democrat against this, maybe half of elected Republicans, most independents in this state are not for it. Um, It's also one of those things where, it sounds good to some people, but it starts to sound a lot worse the more you get into the details. So let me let me give you one more thing from the Chad Hasty interview. Hasty asked a very good question, which is, what about, and you and I have talked about this, Jeremy, what about the private schools, the people who run them, and the parents who send their kids to private schools who do not want state-mandated curriculum in those schools, right? Right now, they can teach what they like, right, because it's a private institution. But if you have tax dollars flow to those institutions, they can rightly expect that the state at some point would put mandates in place for what they can teach and what they cannot teach. And here's what Abbott said about that. With regard to uh, the, the issue about private schools being apprehensive about being part of this, listen, there's no compelling by the state of Texas that a private school enter into this. Uh, this is if, if a parent uh, wants to take their child to private school X, uh, and private school X doesn't want any part of it, uh, that child probably will not be admitted into that private school. Jeremy, what he just said there, if the, if the parent takes a kid to a private school and the, and the private school doesn't want them, then they don't have to take them. That is almost verbatim what I have heard from every school superintendent in Texas for the past 20 years covering this anytime this topic comes up. Is that a quote in favor of this proposal or against it? Um, it th- this is the kind of thing that will be very contentious in the legislature. And what did the governor say about those issues? He said, well, lawmakers will have to hammer that out. Well, and, and I like what you've talked about with the uh, the, you know, the, the dramatic change in like how he talks about this issue in San Antonio versus Lubbock, right? You pointed out like you know, what he's trying to kind of deal with in terms of the opposition in Lubbock, but look at where he was in San Antonio when he rolled this thing out. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, San Antonio, as a kid who grew up there, I know very well that there are nine Catholic schools, you know, high schools, just high schools in San Antonio. And mm-hmm. so you're, you're, you're giving people 
that option. That means something entirely different than Lubbock, where I'm going to venture to guess there are not nine <laughs> Catholic high schools right. in mm-hmm. Lubbock, Texas. But you see the dynamic there already starts kind of shifting things. Kids from the Southside Independent School District could suddenly start you know, filling in more of these Catholic schools, you know, potentially under this arrangement. And that might be a good political play for Abbott there. But very different someplace else. But I want uh, one other thing you mentioned in there. You, you yeah. mentioned it early in about Friday night lights. You know, it's like yeah. I, I don't mean to make light of this, but when you look at other states, like coming from Florida and looking in places like New Jersey, uh, like where they had school voucher programs and more school choice, uh, you think of you know high school sports like just means something different in those places. You know, mm-hmm. the, the the championships in those states. You know, for high school football are always about like, you know, in New Jersey, it's Don Bosco Prep, which is a Catholic school. And, you know, yeah. in Miami, uh, you know, St. Thomas Aquinas versus the IMG Academy, two private schools every year are the, you know, that's the right. biggest game ever. Mm-hmm. In Texas, it's always been a public school. It's always right. been Odessa Permian. It's always been mm-hmm. Midland Lee. It's always been, you know, uh, all the high schools, you know, and you right. think of, you know. It's you Katie know, or it's uh, Allen or any of these places that exactly. any of these places, it's, any of these places that have an NFL style stadium for the high schools. Exactly. It's been a different thing. And so, so I, I, you know, there is a piece to this where there's a sports thing that is oh, yeah. de- definitely going to sure. be part of this conversation of like, if we go to a voucher program and more robust school choice, do we kind of set it up for where, you know, there could be a St. Thomas Aquinas like Miami, like that, that starts to happen in Houston and San Antonio mm-hmm. where the, the football championships are no longer about Judson high schools and stuff like that. It becomes about, you know, you know, the Catholic school versus the private corporate IMG Academy type thing, because that's yeah. what's happening in Florida. Florida's you know, like the, the, the only kids competing for championships now seemingly are in private schools. Is that know, everybody else is out yeah. to, to lunch. Now, I did not actually hear Beto talk about this once. He may have. I just missed it. He did a lot of uh, media this week, and I'm going to get to that in just a bit. But his team was pretty aggressive about it on social media. His campaign released a montage of local news coverage about Abbott's announcement on vouchers, and Beto's campaign called it a plan to defund public schools in this state. Governor Greg Abbott wants to use government funding state taxpayer dollars to pay for families to send their kids to private or charter schools with state funding following the students. Not really clear how that would work given private schools operate outside state purview and generally like it that way. Governor Greg Abbott seeking re-election. The plan offers little guidance. Few details on improving education. Beth O'Rourke responded to Governor Abbott's plan on Twitter arguing Abbott's plan would defund public schools. If Governor Abbott was truly concerned about public education. He would ensure that public education was properly and fully funded. Governor Greg Abbott wants to use government funding, state taxpayer dollars, to pay for families to send their kids to private or charter schools. I'll be interested to see how this plays, uh, Jeremy, because of the issues that we're going to talk about, as I mentioned. It's one of those game-changer things because it's not purely partisan. Um, the, The coalition against school vouchers includes a lot of Republicans, the, a, a ton of Republicans. In fact, in some ways, I think about it um, a lot like this fight about local control, because it, it actually kind of plays into it. You've had the state government at war with local governments, right, to the cities and counties over different things. Governor Abbott has prioritized that. It's, it's a big uh, push for him uh, in his time uh, in the governor's office. Uh, but one of the reasons it's a hard fight and it's not easy for Republicans is because the vast majority of local officials in Texas are Republicans, right? Of 254 counties, the mayors, the county judges, the county commissioners and everything. And even though the school boards and uh, school uh, and, uh, and city councils and things like that are, are officially nonpartisan, but that's a lot of you know people who vote Republican, right? And so they run into opposition from people who are in their own party. And I don't know if we're so polarized, you know, in our, you know, in, in this, uh, in this year, uh, you know, in this, in these times, in this economy, <laughs> if we are so polarized that it doesn't matter, that it just becomes red versus blue jerseys, I can't imagine that. I still can't see any path. And like you say, maybe there's some opportunities for Abbott to pick off different Republicans here and there with different arguments. I still can't see the coalition in the Texas House that comes together to pass a, a full-on school voucher program. Now, if if the governor will accept it, maybe they'll 
put something in place that that is like a smaller program like you talked about with the previous governors that would be sort of a pilot program so he can so he can claim some kind of a win on this but just for perspective in the house it has become a tradition that when they debate their budget there's always an amendment offered yeah. that specifically prohibits a school voucher program that tax dollars cannot go to something like this and that amendment is always adopted by more than 100 you know with more than 100 votes a supermajority opposition to school vouchers, and I don't know how he gets past that. It's a, it's still a brick wall in the legislature. Yeah, yes and no, I think. So so uh, there, there's like a three-step process here in this voucher thing. So the first thing that Greg Abbott is doing by doing this is really ringing a bell with, you know, like the homeschool coalitions of Texas. These are super passionate people. We're talking like about 300,000, you know, people who are kind of involved in this, you know, program uh, on, those, on the homeschooling stuff. They love this issue. They will go to war for you in on this type of an issue. And Abbott needs those types of people in his campaign. So there's a is a early building his political army, you know, piece that he is doing by triggering this conversation. There's another conversation later in the general election that we've pointed out that against Beto O'Rourke, Beto O'Rourke is going to try to use this against them when we get there, right? It's yeah. like it's it's a good issue for him to talk about, you know, public schools, you know, losing money. And so that's another mm-hmm. thing. The third step then is how does the legislature change it all on this? You know, again, I think, you know, the one thing that makes this open is like I think Abbott kind of figured out he can bring political pressure to things that maybe he didn't like once believe in as much. You know, think of mm-hmm. constitutional carry. You know, once he started to kind of really kind of pushing it and it started becoming a national thing, Abbott mm-hmm. has a massive platform. He could go on Fox News anytime he wants and like call out the you know the Texas House if he wants to right. and start mm-hmm. really unloading on them and having like Dan Patrick on his side on this issue mm-hmm. and Ted oh, yeah. Cruz. You have a lot of names that would be like in on this thing going, why is Joe Blow con- you know, state rep from wherever holding this whole thing up? You know, it's yeah. like they could put a lot of pressure on somebody and make life miserable for them. And I think, you know, again, after watching watch constitutional carry go from like no chance of ever mm-hmm. getting through or even some of the transgender stuff like co- that constantly died in the house all of a sudden all that stuff got wheels why right. part of it is because abbott finally you know came full bore into it and used his pulpit to its full potential and if he decides to do that i think it's it's a fair shot that he's going to have to try to get this thing through. There's a lot of opposite. I I don't discount. There's going to be some strong voices in the house that are going to be against it. But mm-hmm. this is going to get hot and really yeah, hot. strong. Well, not just strong voices, but numbers. Yeah, numbers of people. They, it, I mean, yep. they still have to overcome a huge number of people in the house who don't agree with this. I would say one thing in in favor of that argument, though, that you just made, is that as much as Abbott has sometimes clashed with the legislature up until the point of defunding the legislature when he disagreed with something Democrats had done and nixing the paychecks of Republican staffers, you know, in in the legislative branch, which is insane. Um, As much as he has abused them in that way, when the when this governor has asked for something on his desk, unlike Perry and unlike Bush, he has gotten it. I'm trying to think of anything. I'm trying to think of anything he didn't that anything he specifically asked for and that he didn't get. I can't think of it. Right. It was Sanctuary cities. It was constitutional carry, like you say. There were there were other things that were sort of dead on arrival previously, or just hadn't happened for a variety of reasons. But when Abbott says it's an emergency item, or I want this bill on my desk, he got it. One exception was Abbott sort of said something like that about the bathroom bill in 2017, but he was privately telling people this was our reporting. He was privately telling donors that that they didn't have to worry about that political contributors, big business guys didn't want that to pass. And Abbott was telling them privately that the house is going to kill it. Don't worry about it. Um, the fight over abortion rights, it's just heating up even more, uh, Jeremy. And the day after we did the last edition of this incredible podcast, the next day you had Beto O'Rourke talking to 5,000 screaming fans in Houston, Texas. And let me tell you, you can probably – I'm not going to say that it's um, its unimpressive because, I mean, we watch the video or you go to one of these things, it's electric, right? It's very easy for the people who are there to get caught up in that. Well, this means we're going to win. Well, it doesn't mean that. Slow down. <laughs> but after he was speaking at that rally, he talked on MSNBC with one of their reporters 
about why they're rallying people all over the state, and he talked about what the stakes are when it comes to a woman's right to choose an abortion, if that is what she is seeking. He's talking about that in the context of the leaked draft opinion from Justice Samuel Alito. Why did you decide to hold it, and why do you think this issue can galvanize voters in November? The total abortion ban that Greg Abbott signed into law last year that outlaws abortion beginning at conception with no exception for rape and incest, that is not us. That is not the people of Texas. This is what Texas looks like right here. This is who we are. That our fellow Texans, no matter where they are across the 254 counties, Republican, Democrat alike, know that we are standing with them because the majority of us want to make sure that we protect a woman's right to choose to make her own decisions about her own body, her own future and her own health care. That's who we are. And we're going to gather. We're going to organize. We're going to fight and we're going to win this election so we can get this back. So as much as I love Houston, I would say that's actually what Houston looks like not what Texas looks like, right? But you were at a rally in a very different part of the state the day before, on the day we did the show last week, in Kendall County, in Bernie, Texas. And to me, Jeremy, you know, 5,000 Democrats in, in Houston, again, that looks impressive. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a big show. Um, but, it, you know, a couple hundred people, right, in a place where Beto and Democrats just don't get any votes. Yeah. It was a it was a pretty big turnout, and so and, and, and so I've been thinking about this a lot, and so you know, uh, bear with me here. This is going to be a tough thing to hear, but Beto O'Rourke and Donald Trump are like twins when it comes to what they're doing. Twins. Yes. Is that like the movie Twins, where it was yes. Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito? Yeah, that's a they're perfect a, obviously example. very different. Yep. But there, there's no, there's nothing these two <laughs> guys you believe have in they common. Were in some ways, separated at birth. Yeah. In this case, Trump and Beto O'Rourke are nothing close to each other on like pretty much anything except for one thing. They both know how to build an army. And what what you hear Beto O'Rourke doing at these rallies, it's not just he's rallying and like, oh, we're all mad and like, look, look at all the support come November. That's not what they're worried about. What he's worried about is by having this thing, he's signing people up. He's signing up volunteers. Like mm-hmm. he literally picked up his cell phone at the event in uh, Bernie and said – Everybody who can help, text right now so we can get these phone banks going, get these mm-hmm. door knocking going. So he's building the army. And when he goes, he's, saying he's picking up you know, emails and you know, phone numbers and things like that because he needs to build a network before he can even think about you know, mm-hmm. deploying like his like the full force of his campaign come in in the fall, and that's what Trump does at these rallies. You know, at Trump in his rallies, you know, like you know, I think about the one up in Dallas back in 2019. It's like mm-hmm. you couldn't get into that unless you signed your name up. It was free, but you had right. to sign your name up and your phone number and your email address, and then you could get in. And so that gave Trump a legion of army, an army that he could kind of build off of to help him get into the neighborhoods in Texas. Mm -hmm. That's what Beto is doing. Beto is like building the army first. You can't win the war in November until you have an army to fight it. And what he needs is a passionate, fired up electorate to get Mm -hmm. on his side. And he mostly had that, but after the presidential election, he kind of lost some of those Bernie folks right. and mm-hmm. uh, some people who weren't like, yeah, he's not quite where I am. The ones who mm-hmm. were for Elizabeth Warren It's right. like he wasn't on that. But now you saw those people in Houston, those 5,000 people who showed up. It's like he probably signed up a bunch of them, you mm-hmm. know, for you know duties that will help him get out the vote later on down the road. So it's a well, long game he's playing. And like, and look, he's not going to win the election about an abortion rally in May. Right. <laughs> That's not happening. Correct. It's like it's a bigger it's, it's a bigger plan going on here. Yeah, no, I hear you. I remember when um, when Trump was running and he was having these you know, huge rallies, and I would hear from conservative commentators would say, "Well, the, the the environment is electric. This is amazing. I've never seen anything like it." And I would say, "Well, I did see something like that." Back in 2008, uh, at the Toyota Center in Houston, it was Barack Obama, and it was the same thing. It was like going to a WWE event, right? I mean, it, 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 here, here comes, you know, the, they, they could uh, put on the music for The Rock. He comes out, and, you know, everybody just goes wild, and people are fainting and losing their minds, and it's a, a just incredible environment. And one thing that had me in doubt about Trump, because, look, again, I look at these rallies and go, this is not how you win. I didn't know, and it wasn't immediately clear that Trump was also mimicking what Obama had done in 2008 
about the stuff you're talking about, which is building your army, signing people up, getting people registered to vote. If they're not going to even do anything on the campaign, they don't have to. They can just register to vote and go tell your friends to register to vote. And here's how you do it and and make sure that they know when the election is. You're getting a lot of people involved in politics who hadn't been involved before. And so they don't they don't know basic things, um, you know, about when the election is, the fact that there's a deadline to register that is way before the actual election and just little things like that, which sort of veteran voters do know those things. But when you're building a political movement and bringing people into the fold, they need to go to basically, uh, you know, the ABCs of, of, of the civics lesson on all this stuff. You know, they get, they have to know the, the, the ABCs and one, two, threes of how you even participate in an election. And these events where you have people fired up and the, and you want to be able to kind of bait them into into asking this question, what do I do next? And as a campaign, you have an answer for them. Do these yeah, things. it was interesting. It's interesting because like, at the uh, the Bernie event, there was a uh, a group of uh, uh, young you know girls or women who had, you know, like looked like they just turned eighteen. One of them actually raised a hand and asked Beto about how they can get involved, and you could almost see like the glow from Beto, <laughs> like <right>. yes, <laughs> we will get you involved because that's exactly what they need. They need young people. You know, they got to make sure they get registered. They're going to need to you know make sure they know how to use them and deploy them to help them get other votes. It's not enough that he's going to get the vote of a newly turned 18 year old he needs mm-hmm. that 18 year old he actually told the, the the woman this is like i need for you to talk to your friends because he goes i'm a 49 year old man from el paso and you know your friends and the people around your network better than i do and so mm-hmm. that's what he needs and that's what he's building and you're right that's a great point obama kind of built this for the first time this is what he mm-hmm. started the trump people said hey that's exactly they what we need. That up this and is ran how, with it. You yeah. have to build an army, and you can't just be like putting out TV ads and hoping you're going to get there. You're going to need to be in the neighborhoods to do this, you know, door-to-door war that we have kind of created up in in, in Texas politics now. Yeah, uh, Beto had a, I would say, a pretty good week uh, media-wise. Uh, he was everywhere. He was on a tour in, I guess, in New York. He was in um, uh, the ABC studios, NBC studios. Let's first tune into. Hang on, where's my remote? Let's tune into The View on ABC. Uh, and he was asked about why Americans seem so divided right now. And he went straight into talking about how uh, Texas is the prime example of what's going on. Probably nowhere more so than in Texas right now. You have a, a governor who is attacking women. We have a complete abortion ban beginning at conception with no exception for rape and no exception for incest. You have a governor who's attacking Texas teachers, telling them what version of history they're allowed to teach to the students in in their classroom. You have a governor who's attacking democracy. It's harder to vote in the state of Texas than any other state in the union. A 95-year-old World War II veteran who put his life on the line to fight fascism half a world away in World War II to defend democracy at home had his ballot by mail request rejected not once but three times in Texas because of Greg Abbott. The other thing that was really divisive in Texas this week was this announcement from Governor Abbott that Joe Biden is to blame for people uh, who can't get, and young mothers who can't get, um, formula for their babies. There's a big shortage of that right now. And of course, Democrats really fumbled on this at the beginning of it, Jeremy. You saw where the Biden administration just didn't answer the questions very well. They almost, um, they, they almost, they just didn't look like they were taking it seriously. That has Abbott and others pouncing on them to say something that is really unbelievable. The Biden administration has been providing a formula for immigrant mothers at the border, right? Uh, Some of those who are detained. And Abbott is blaming the fact that that's being uh, offered for them, that that is the reason that mothers in Houston and Austin can't find formula, which, of course, number one, is not true. Uh, But it does speak to this very divisive and uh, divisive politics, divisive rhetoric, and scarcity politics like it, it, the reason you can't have it is we because we gave it to these other people and i saw and heard from even some republicans who said wow the governor is saying that those babies because they're immigrant the, the mothers their mothers are immigrants that they shouldn't be fed 
Yeah, he and he called them like illegal immigrants, you know. And I'm just thinking they're like babies, <laughs> you know. It's just like, and it's just hard to imagine, like, you know, does he want Joe Biden to like make an announcement? That's it. We're taking the baby formula out of those, you know, infants' mouths right now and making sure they can't get it because um, they're, you know, obviously the conditions that they've been traveling to to get across the border. Who knows what those are, right? And it's like terrible. So, any sort of compassion for that. And I get it. I can see why Republicans want to grab on this. And I think it might work in some audiences. This was yes. all over Fox News. You know, when, course, when yeah. you know, the, the congresswoman from Florida who kind of started this thing a couple of days ago, she's the one who posted the photos originally from, you know, what she says is from McAllen of, you know, pallets of baby formula. Uh, and then she says, and this is what it looks like. This is what America last looks like, is what she had said, <laughs> was her phrasing on it. So, and like, but you can see Abbott saying, it, you know, he had to jump on this, right? Like, there's no way it's in Texas. He has to say something about it. So he puts out this statement that yeah. is just like, boy, I wonder, like, you know, a hundred years from now when people see that statement, mm-hmm. you know, like, it's like, Ugh, what, did we really say we shouldn't be giving these immigrant children? Yeah. Because we don't know if they're illegal immigrants. We don't know right. who's here legally or not. There might mm-hmm. be some legitimate claims of people who should be here. Mm-hmm. And so... How do you then say, okay, well, that kid can have some formula, but not that other one? Well, it's something that I've uh, reflected on for a long time in covering immigration politics. And the the language that's used around the people who are coming across the border, uh, folks who are either seeking asylum, which is a legal form of entry, or people who do come in uh, illegally, which, by the way, is a misdemeanor. But the way they get talked about as far as being illegals, illegal aliens, Right. Yeah. They, use, they love to use the word aliens. Right. Um, whereas I would say to have a little more neutral language, I would say people who are not authorized to work in the United States or, you know, people who entered illegally or whatever. But in thinking about it, if you and it sounds a little extreme, but we're talking some extreme politics here. If you continue to uh, to portray people as something less than human and people believe that, then they will have no problem with starving their babies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's the way that they talk. That's the way that they talk about this stuff. So, uh, so Beto on the view also talked about the controversy with Roe versus Wade and whether it's really about to be overturned. The, the women, this is interesting, Jeremy, the women on the view, as I was watching that show, it seemed like at least a couple of them on the panel didn't really believe that that's the way it's going to go, that Alito's draft is really going to hold up. You know, maybe there's some way, and it, it's possible, right, that, that maybe that's not what we get and that the Supreme Court uh, either has a different ruling or a more narrow ruling that doesn't completely overturn Roe versus Wade. That's all still in the mix. It seemed like the women on The View, not all of them, uh, but, but a couple of them, didn't really think that that's going to happen. Beto says that he thinks that it is about to happen this summer. It is. And Justice Alito in that draft decision has made it very clear that it's coming back to the states. And there's no state more important than the state of Texas. One, because you have more women who will be denied that right to an abortion. But as you pointed out, Sonny, it is not just about access to an abortion, because over the last seven years under Greg Abbott, almost all of our reproductive health care clinics have been closed down. Mm -hmm. So not only is it harder to get an abortion, but try getting a cervical cancer screening or family planning help or seeing a doctor at all in some of these more rural and remote communities. We lead most of the developed world right now in the rate of maternal mortality mm-hmm. in the state of Texas, three times as bad for black women. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that rally in Houston, though, and it reminds us that we also have the answer to this challenge in the, in the, in, in the state of Texas. 5,000 people came out mm-hmm. on three days' notice to stand up for every woman's right to make her own decisions about her own body, her own future, and her own health care. And it's also a reminder that Texas women have always been there. Um, Roe versus Wade, Jane Roe was a Texan. And the two women who successfully pled her case, Sarah Weddington and Linda Coffey, also from the state of Texas. So it wasn't women in Texas waiting for someone to come from outside to save them. It was women of Texas standing up, fighting for their rights and winning them. We're going to do that again. Senator Ted Cruz was on Fox News Channel weighing in on the draft opinion as well from his point of view. If you look at our nation's history, for the first 185 years of our nation's history, Abortion was decided by elected legislatures, primarily at the state level. 
And, and listen, we all recognize that abortion is an issue that is, that is deeply emotional, it's personal. People feel very strongly and have sharply divided views. What happened in 1973, when Roe v. Wade was handed down, was seven unelected lawyers in, in black robes said to the American people, you pesky voters, your views don't matter. We know better than you do. We are philosopher kings and we are gonna decree the rule. And I'll tell you, that ruling, it was wrong the day it was issued. It's been wrong every day since then. But that ruling produced enormous anger, enormous division, because when people disagree and feel strongly about it, if the democratic process is available to them, you can go and make the case to your fellow citizens and you can argue for it. But with Roe, the court said, no, we know better than you do. If Roe is, is in fact overturned, and I pray that it is, the result will be it goes back to the elected legislatures. And by the way, these loons that are harassing the justices can go to their state legislature and, and that will argue be... in front of the legislature for the rule they want and will let democracy play out. The, I think at a base level, the thing about this, Jeremy, is whether abortion is a right that is, uh, that is constitutionally uh, protected. This is on the precipice now that that... that and that's been our understanding for 50 years that that may be over with. If something's a right, then it doesn't change state to state, right? It doesn't change if it's your right to do it under federal law, if it's your right to do it in Texas, then it's your federal right to do it in California, Louisiana, Nebraska, wherever. And I've seen people compare this to, uh, you know, the, the idea of, of slavery being something that was, remember, states' rights, some of these folks want to talk about states' rights when it comes to a woman's right to to choose this. So what would happen? You would have, and, and I think we're, we're entering some really rough water here ahead, because what we're seeing is a country that's moving, and a state, by the way, in Texas, that's moving in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, in a direction that's a little more progressive. We're still Republican here. But, for example, if you look at the polling on abortion— um, I think certainly a, a clear majority is not for getting rid of abortions completely, right? If you if you look at Republicans and, and Democrats, the, the electorate as a whole, um, and I think it's around 80% that don't agree with this stuff where you just don't have any exceptions whatsoever, right? Where there's no, no exceptions for rape or incest or any of that. Um, there will be a robust debate ahead, but we're, uh, the reason I say we're entering, you know, even more rough water and, and more dark times ahead is because we have a Supreme Court, which as that judicial branch of government is, is sort of the backstop on a lot of these issues when, when it can't be worked out, you know, among the states or within states. Um, that majority on the court is forged from a previous electoral majority, right, from from President Trump's election and the Republicans holding the Senate. And we've had times like this before in American history where the court was aligned one way and the country is moving in a different direction and they're constantly clashing. And one of the times that that was true, if you go back into history, one of the times that that was true, it helped lead to the Civil War itself, right? Now, I'm not saying that that's going to happen, but we're going to see this not just on Roe versus Wade. We're going to see this on other issues, too, uh, because the justices who are poised to make this decision, if it is the decision that they make, they didn't tell the truth to the Senate when they were confirmed in their hearings. They said that they would honor previous precedents. When they were asked about Roe versus Wade, they said basically, quote, that's settled law. And now here we are within a year or two years later, and they're getting ready to make a move that is potentially going to just upset the entire apple cart. Now, I don't know if there's a long tail on the reaction to this, because in places like Texas, it's going to happen pretty quick, right? We have a trigger law in place that says no exceptions for rape or incest. It, it means uh, that abortion is illegal 30 days after the Roe versus Wade decision is overturned, if that's what happens. That was signed by Governor Abbott. So even though he has made some statements that seem to kind of want to dance around the main point about whether this is being overturned, we don't have to guess what he thinks about it, a point I've made before. He has taken the policy position that just about every abortion should be illegal in Texas. And does that become something that creates incredible backlash to Republican leadership here? Or 
Is it something that only hardens the divisions that are already there? And in a potentially low turnout midterm election, that would mean, once again, there are more Republican voters in Texas than there are Democratic ones, and Republicans just hold on. Yeah, there was a time where I I used to think of Texas Republicans as a live and let live type Republican. It's like you do your thing, you know, just don't get in my way. It's like we all have our rights, you know. It's like you know, get government away from me, you know. I thought it was kind of a different thing, but it's definitely become more of a, like this social politics part of it, you know, from the tra- transgender issues, the gay rights mm-hmm. issues, to the uh, now the abortion issues. It, it's taken on much more of a biblical religious kind of bent to it that is really being pushed on others in ways that I'm not, I, I, I can't, I want to see how this plays out. You know, it's like, yeah. you know, is there some point where some Republican can say, you know, look, you know, it's like, you know, we're pro-life too, but we're not that kind of pro-life. You know, it's like, is there room for that conversation where there once was? It just seemed like there was an acceptance even among Republicans that, of course, there's an exception for rape and incest. You know, we're not right. going to make every woman who's raped and get pregnant carry that baby. Mm-hmm. It's like, but now it's like, yes, we are. Yes, we are. It's like, that's literally the answer to that question now. It's like, will every woman in Texas who's raped be required to carry their rapist baby to term? Yes. yes. That right. is the answer. It's like, and I don't know how you mm. make that conversation, like, feel okay. I, I just can't imagine there won't be some backlash if somebody understands how to explain that to the electorate of that's what just mm. happened here. Right. It's um, I, I think it's it's a very different situation from 2014 uh, when and I've talked about this before, but in 2013, in that legislative session before that 14 election, um, the bill that they passed was a sweeping package of uh, of abortion regulations. But they didn't come anywhere close to actually overturning a woman's right to get an abortion uh, if she is seeking one. Uh, one of the and this is, you know, all of this with uh, with Beto's media tour was a lot of these uh, culture war issues that are really being leaned into now by by the Democrats and the Republicans, more so by the Republicans, I would say. A lot of it, I think, with the Democrats is them reacting to Republicans leaning in so hard. Is that fair? Um, yep. On Late Night with Seth Meyers, what is that, NBC? Um, Beto focused a lot on Abbott's order for Child Protective Services to investigate parents of transgender children and investigate them of child abuse. And he talked about visiting the uh, Briggle family. Uh, where are they? They're up in DFW. Uh, he, he visited with them on Mother's Day, uh, you know, because he says, look, they're a family just like any other, and they don't deserve to have the state coming on, you know, coming down on them like a ton of bricks. First thing I'll tell you is I've met families like the Briggles all over the state of Texas. And these parents are the most loving parents you'll find anywhere. They're, they're doing their best to help their kid navigate this incredibly difficult time in their lives. And they're searching for answers, just loving the hell out of them, just trying to make sure that they're okay. And our governor, Greg Abbott, is proposing charging them with child abuse. And if that charge is sustained, not only taking their trans kid from them, but every other child in the household, placing them in a foster care system in Texas that is the worst run in the country, where 100 kids in that system died last year in the custody and the care of the state of Texas. Instead of fixing that system and the vulnerable kids that are in it, he's going to take these kids from their loving parents and put them there. In that interview, Jeremy, he also said something about Matthew McConaughey and and whether he would have... McConaughey and his administration. What yeah, was that? Seth, Seth Myers ended up asking him, you know, about McConaughey uh, and saying, you know, asked him like, would there be a role for you know mm-hmm. Matthew McConaughey uh, to be in an administration? Of course, it, the pride of <laughs> Uvalde, yes. Texas. Yep, right. You know, for okay. those who haven't been following us for very long, <laughs> it's like yeah. uh, we love talking about Matthew McConaughey all the time on the show. <laughs> Not, uh, but but in this case, like, so you know, it was funny because. Uh, you know, we, you know, Myers brought it up as you know McConaughey once thought about running for governor. You know, do you think he has a role in politics with you? Yeah. And uh-huh. of course, you know, Beto was like all praise for McConaughey, saying the guy is a is a you know he sounded like he was like he had been a fighter in the Alamo or something. He goes, this guy's a great Texan <laughs> beyond being yeah. an extraordinary actor. When the chips are down in our state, this guy shows up, you know, and he's just yeah. like, was talking about it, whatever job, whatever he could do. Uh, we want to, you know, he's to what, 
whatever he wants to do and whoever he can help, we want to turn him loose. So yeah. if there is a Beto O'Rourke administration, Matthew McConaughey will certainly get an ask. Of course, they said in the show, like you know, they even Who, said, you know, Beto himself said, I don't know what his politics are. I don't know if he's a Republican or Democrat. Well, right. You know? And so that's part of the magic of McConaughey and why and I would say why he absolutely did not run for anything in Texas, even though he had all these people believing that he would. Um, he has the ability to say a lot of things that make e- e- either Republicans or Democrats think secretly he's one of us. Right. Like, you know, Democrats believe that and Republicans believe that. But I don't know that you necessarily have to be declared a Democrat or a Republican to be appointed to the Texas Commission on Environmental Quality, for example, or or the public utility. Let's put him on the PUC. Why don't we put uh, Matthew McConaughey on the ERCOT board? How about that? Yeah. And, 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 you know, truth be told, you know, he's already involved in Texas politics. Like, he's already cut you yeah. know, PSAs. You saw the one sure. he did with Ken Paxton but, on human trafficking. He did right. one with the uh, the Department of Transportation on part of the, uh, the litter cleanup stuff, you know, the mm-hmm. Don't Mess With Texas programs. So right. it's not like McConaughey has been kind of nibbling around the corners on being more involved in government right. and politics in some way. Mm-hmm. And so I wouldn't be surprised if, like, if, you know, O'Rourke went to him and said, hey, look, you know, can we do something? with you and, and it was uh, it, you know there you know i want to give mcconaughey due uh, i can't believe i'm saying this but yes he, he certainly go. did put a lot of effort into like he did that you know you know you know that fundraising effort after the freeze to help people yep. you know who right. you know really you know, got a lot of damage and sure. out in el paso you know o'rourke pointed this out after the shooting out there in 2019 mcconaughey went out there and he raised mm-hmm. money and helped people kind of mostly in a quiet way but he was just trying to help other texans and mm-hmm. i think that's what you know beto was really kind of hammering that point home the guy's heart's in the right spot at right. least in doing some of this stuff so it's hard to get to roll my eyes too much i'll do it a little but i i you know got to respect the dude for at least I, chipping in i would say this the um the politics of mcconaughey are unknown from a partisan standpoint because he's never voted in a primary and never contributed to any candidate right yep. at least as far as we know so because you know usually it's like hollywood liberals they give to democrats or whatever although there are some republican uh you know supporters out in hollywood as well as you have pointed out uh, governor abbott has done his own California uh, fundraisers uh, as well. Uh, But if you had a, this is to make a semi-serious comment about it. If you had a democratic administration in Austin, which again is a long shot, but you had a Republican Senate, which you're still going to have someone with very little, little, you know, official political history would be easier to get through a confirmation process. So that's one thing to keep in mind there. There's always something to be learned here on this show. Uh, Did you see, did you see, (laughs) I can't believe I made anything, any serious comment about Matthew McConaughey. Anyway, did you see that George P. Bush seems to have figured out that he's actually in a runoff with Attorney General <laughs> Ken Paxton, <laughs> and he's he's really taking it seriously now. I, one thing I did see was that uh, former Justice Eva Guzman, who was running uh, as well in the first round of all this, that came out this week. Her spokesman said she's not going to endorse in this uh, in this runoff. Seems like George P. did some of the basics wrong in the first round of this uh, election where one thing you do if if you think you're going to get in the runoff is you want to kind of shore up the others and try to figure out if you can get their support because it's going to be a very low turnout affair and having this is the kind of time when when some of those endorsements do matter at least a little bit because they can kind of marginally move people here and there right there were some there were people who voted for Eva Guzman and maybe if you could get some of them that would help you but at this point I think it's a real real long shot that we don't see the end of the quote bush dynasty in texas i don't make predictions as you know but based on the stuff i'm seeing on the ground add that to some of the polling we've seen publicly and privately i would not be shocked if it was 70 30 for paxton okay this is not going well for commissioner bush but he is getting aggressive He's got television ads up, and uh, something I thought he would have done a lot sooner. He's just out there straight up calling Ken Paxton a crook. I'm George P. Bush, and I'm proud of my family's contributions to Texas and America. But this race isn't about my last name. It's about Ken Paxton's crimes. Paxton's already facing three felony charges, and the FBI is now investigating him for bribery and obstruction of justice. I'm a Navy officer who served in Afghanistan, and now... I'm ready to fight for you, for stronger borders and safer streets in Texas. 
I will restore honor and integrity to the Attorney General's office. But Paxton's not having any of that. He's calling Bush a liberal, and he's saying that he's woke as he slams him on his record, including things he tried to do at the site of the Alamo. The radical left wants to destroy our heritage, remove monuments honoring founding fathers George Washington and Thomas Jefferson. Even in Texas, Liberal Land Commissioner George P. Bush proposed a woke plan to reimagine the Alamo and demanded that the monument honoring the Texas heroes who died there be moved. In the Republican runoff for Attorney General, protect our Texas heritage. Defeat George P. Bush. Just going to watch this space for right now. I think it's getting very uh, nasty out there, but I do think it's a little late to be moving the needle much in this election, uh, getting this aggressive here at the end. Um, one other thing, a South Texas uh, mention here, uh, this race for the seat currently held by uh, Representative uh, Cuellar. He is in a real race. I'm not making predictions, Jeremy, but I'm going to say right now, I'm handicapping it for Cuellar, and I have a few reasons for that. But first, I and I know some of the more progressive Democrats listening to this are not going to like me saying that, but I have reasons. I'll come back to that. But did you see um, there were several events uh, with Jim Clyburn, the House Majority Whip in Texas, uh, in Bear County and here in Austin? Uh, and I know that some Democrats were very upset with Representative Clyburn when he was out there forcefully talking about how we need to get Congressman Henry Cuellar back in Congress. Um, In fact, some of those Democrats heard about that, and then they did not show up for some of the other events, sort of protesting, not not wanting to be there. Um, CNN's Manu Raju asked Speaker Nancy Pelosi whether she still supports Cuellar, even though the FBI raided his house and his office. Why uh, you're supporting Henry Cuellar in his Texas runoff? You have long maintained that House members should have the highest ethical standards, but he had his house, as you know, raided by the FBI just several weeks ago. Well, let me just thank thank you for the question. Uh, I'm supporting Henry Cuellar. He's a valued member of our caucus. The FBI has said he is not under investigation, uh, and so it's up to his constituents uh, to make the um, decision to send him to Congress. I am. Um, uh, I thought you were going to take it to choice or something. He he is not pro-choice, but we didn't need him. We passed the bill. Some people said that Pelosi's answer about choice seemed kind of silly, uh, even though that's the uh, that's the question she actually seemed to be ready for, right? <laughs> so uh, so so look, he is a pro uh, quote pro-life Democrat. That is the um, that has been the character of the district, um, and yeah. I think right now. It's even more the character of the district because, right, these lines have been redrawn a bit. So that that that's one thing. I think that. Well, let me let me let me fill fill this in. I think one thing to watch some of the dynamics to watch here, and especially during early voting, we can start to see some of this. Right? Does Bear County? Does that end of the district really start to show up? Right? And I think that's where you'd find your more progressive. Democrats in that district, right? The people who would be more in line with Jessica Cisneros. That's not to say she doesn't have uh, a base of support further south, but down around Laredo, Webb County, that's where you're going to find those more uh, conservative Republicans. Now, one thing I would say to to sort of moderate that comment is that you do know that it, the district overlaps with one of the Texas House districts, the state house districts, that you have a party switcher in, and that's Ryan Guillen. And a lot of the more conservative Democrats from that southern end of the district moved over to the Republican primary to vote for Guillen because he actually did have to run a race in the primary, and he did win, and, and they did a, a nice job on that race. But that left Cuellar with fewer of those those people who had been conservative Democrats moved over to the Republican primary, right? And so that left him without some of his base. Um, but to temper all of that, if if Bear County does what they usually do, which is not vote as heavily in this kind of an election, but they do turn out big down in the southern end of the district, I would think that's the advantage for Cuellar, but we're going to have to wait and see. Yeah, I absolutely agree. If this was the old district, which he currently serves, that you know Webb County carries the day, no doubt. The you know the question in my mind though is like that section of San Antonio that was added into it. You know, it's a great point because they added basically everything you know 
east of you know Alamo Plaza is now mm-hmm. in uh, the this district, and that okay. potentially could be good for Cisneros because none mm-hmm. of those people have ever voted for Henry Cuellar before in their lives. You know, they right. don't know who he is. You know, like right. that part of you know you know South and East San Antonio just is unfamiliar with him. So you know, Cuellar really kind of has to make his you know effort there to kind of get them to want to come out for such a low turnout election. Just because mm-hmm. Cisneros has put a lot of effort into that area, so you know, I you know, I definitely can't predict how this is going to go. Again, I would have said. Quayar, you know, in the old district, but mm-hmm. in this new configuration, Cisneros has a shot here. So it's like, yep. I just, you know, can she get these people to come back out to vote again and like, you know, yeah. you know, push it in a time where most people don't even know there's an election going on, no matter yeah, no how clue. much you want to push it. Mm-hmm. No human is used to voting in the end of May. <laughs> right. It's just, they're not. And, and, and look for the speaker. I know there were a lot of the progressive Democrats I saw, you know, dropping the F bomb on social media, a lot of Democrats saying F her for being with this guy who is the only holdout when it comes to abortion rights for women in the uh, U.S. House. Um, but that that's just straight partisan power play kind of politics, right? Because he's still a Democratic member. He's yep. a vote for the speaker, right? Um, and the Republicans, because that district has shifted up a little bit, they view it as a potential pickup for the GOP if the candidate who comes out of this primary runoff is the more liberal of the two. They think they have a credible shot of getting that seat in the fall. Yeah, the the D Triple C and the you know RNCC, you know, the, you know, in my time in DC covering that, the one thing that was a very clear, you know, solid red line for both of them is that you always defend your incumbents first. Yep. Everything always. else is secondary. It doesn't matter who they are or wh- what they voted against. You defend your incumbents first, and then you you, you deal with them if you know they've upset you in some way. Mm-hmm. But you don't leave one of them out to dry. So the right. dollars will always follow follow a Henry Cuellar over a Jessica Cisneros out of D.C. because it's in the DNA. Well, and that's what the the reason that it's so extraordinary that, for example, uh, Congressman Madison Cawthorn has yeah. been sort of, you know, cut out of the mix by the Republican leadership. He had to be so toxic and so terrible. And the actions that he took uh, just completely unacceptable to leadership that they said, actually, you know, our incumbent maybe isn't the guy that we want. I think that an hour and six minutes or so or so is definitely enough show this week. Yes. I know you've yes. got a concert to get to. I've got to get out of Austin, so I'm going to do that. Uh, Let's say adieu now. If you enjoy the show, you know you do. You should be a subscriber on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, however you listen to your favorite podcasts. Give us the best rating you can. Check us out at quorumreport.com and houstonchronicle.com, and we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.